Like Family with Brenda Donoghue. In this edition of Like Family, we ask, what will the family of the future look like? Living together? Down here, you have security. You have a fabulous apartment. You have fabulous neighbours. Living alone? I used to work six months in London. I used to work in Milan. I used to work in South Africa. And I was typically living in hotels. Living in close quarters. When it, when it comes to the end of the day, it is two separate couples living in the house. We have to be more considerate about everyone around us, so yeah. <laughs> and you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. We're living much longer, we're marrying later, we're having fewer children. So what will the family of the future look like? Before we look to the future, I asked Professor Jane Gray of Maynooth University about family patterns of the past. If you were to go back to the first half of the 20th century, to the beginning of the 20th century in particular, uh, you would have seen more intergenerational households with maybe a grandparent generation, whether a widow or a widower or even a couple living together in the same household as the parent and child generation. Uh, But you had other patterns as well. So you had... um, patterns whereby maybe unmarried siblings or unmarried aunts and uncles might be sharing households with the parental nuclear family household. Uh, Also, in our research in the family rhythm studies, we found uh, a very widespread pattern of children being sent to live in uh, related family households. So what that suggests is that um, In the early part of the last century, people's families stretched across multiple households is the way I like to think about it. So that within sort of extended kinship groups, people managed uh, family living arrangements across multiple households for a range of reasons, some of them having to do with access to property, some of them having to do with access to education and some of them having to do with managing large family sizes. So I think what changed then is that around the middle of the 20th century, across the Western world, the structure of occupations, the structure of economies changed in ways that allowed young adults the opportunity to set up independent households. So when people were able to earn enough, you started to see the emergence of a preference for people occupying their own family households, perhaps living closer to where work opportunities were available. And I think also you saw a preference amongst uh, members of the older generation to continue to live independently. So you had uh, that pattern of sharing households started to decline during the 20th century and actually declined quite dramatically. So by the end of the century, you would have seen much fewer intergenerational or multi-generational households. It's funny, Jane, when you describe those family situations, I think many people who are listening to the programme will say, oh, that happened, that was like my aunt lived in with the mother-in-law on the farm. But it doesn't feel that long ago. And yet it's such a strong shift in in family patterns. Yes, yes, I think that um, the shift occurred Probably, certainly in the 1950s and 60s, but by the 1970s, I think you would see a strong shift towards the sort of what we what sociologists call the, the modern family household. And I think that that gave us a kind of false impression that the normal family was the the sort of two parent with young children family. And I, I think we still have that impression. So realising that family patterns are fluid, I'm setting out to explore 
what the family of the future might look like. Our population is growing older and statistics show that now older Irish people are more likely to live alone. So in the future, will these one-person family households become even more common? Just because that is the pattern now doesn't mean it'll be the pattern in the future. I'm travelling to Macaulay Place in Nace to meet some older people who are making different choices. I meet Mary and Maura who live in a complex of 53 one-bedroom apartments with community, learning and social areas shared between the residents. I wonder if they were neighbours in Macaulay. We are, yeah. We're both here now. Maura's two years, two years, two years and I'm a year and we're next door neighbours. Can I come to you first, Mary? How old are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm the wrong side of 60 and I qualify to live in Macaulay, so you have to be 66. <laughs> so after that now you can take <laughs> How did you come here? Why here? Well, I was living with my daughter and my grandson and I used to come here to do Tai Chi. I've been doing Tai Chi for a few years. From there, found out about this fabulous place and applied and was blessed to get in. Since then, life has been just wonderful. Why did you want to move out from your daughter? Not Nothing against your daughter, I'm I sure, know, but I know. Oh, no, you know, we have a great was, relationship yeah, and it's nothing decision? to do with that. Well, there was a few things. First of all, you like your own independence. You like your own hall door. That's one. Um, second of all, my daughter, I'm sure, likes her. I'm sure she loves our mother. And I'm sure at times she'd love to see the back of her mother, as most girls would. And also I have a grandson, and I have found that since moving down here, it has, the relationship with my grandson has changed, because now I'm back to being his grandmother, and not his carer, or saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I can now say, that's all right, hon, come on, come on down to Nam. (laughs) What about this as a life for you? Why not buy or rent of a bungalow somewhere not too far from them, would you not still have the same change in relationships with your grandson? What I'm trying to say is, yes, what you is would. it that Yes, you're right, appealed, you would. You know? Oh yes, the moving out, it didn't matter where you went, yeah. that part of it would, would be the same. Yeah. You would still have that change in relationship. Mm. But living in a bungalow, sitting on your own, in the middle of winter, when it's lashing rain, nothing to do, nowhere to go, you can't go out because it's raining, no company, no nothing. Down here, you have security. You have a fabulous apartment. You have fabulous neighbours. That must be you, Maura. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I opened the door one morning and there she was. <laughs> I didn't know where she was coming from. I just love the place because of what Mary said, the company. Company's fantastic. I was living on my own for seven years when my husband died and it was just horrible. Well, one morning I was lying in bed listening to the radio and I heard Mary Louise O'Donnell on it and she was talking about Macaulay Place in Nace. I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe I found a place to spend my last days now in. Did you sell your house? I or? did. Yeah. I did. I sold up. Mm. I was looking at apartments in Dublin but there were just blocks of flats with all ages in them. But I found this was my own age. I'm 80. That's why I love it here, because the people are just around the same age. Don't take offence. I'm, I'm a young one here. Yeah. She will get to the age. <laughs> she will catch up with us. But it is something you think about. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to get to that age. And I know some of my friends thought, she's mad doing this, but it's not. It's, I know my girls won't have any problems in 20 years' time. What are we going to do with ma'am? What are we? It's sorted. And I am extremely happy that I have myself sorted before it gets 
to a worrying stage for family. So. Well, I, I, was, I have a daughter in Waterford and two sons in Mullingar, but I didn't want to go live with anybody. It's just marvellous to go see them and come home again. As my nine-year-old said when he came, he said, Oh, Nana, this is lovely and cute. <laughs> when he saw the little apartment, he couldn't understand the size of it now, you know. And what was your house like in Dublin in terms of size and, I had and all a four of that? four-bedroom house, yes, in Ratfernham. And uh, it just got too big. I mean, I had wonderful neighbours. Did any of your children mind, and tell me if I'm prying too much, that you were selling the big house in Ratfarnham to come down here to no, this hour? my choice. It was your choice. I'm that type of person. When I make up my mind, that's it. You know, the charity shops then was get the stuff to it and get me out. <laughs> the only things I could bring was pictures, mirrors or that. I couldn't bring any furniture, which I didn't mind. The neighbours actually took a lot of my stuff. My hall stand went to a lady that wanted it for her hats. <laughs> <laughs> my clothes horse went next door. My kitchen table went two doors down. The man was waiting on the doorstep. <laughs> but I knew everything had to go. But when John died and when I was on my own, I was only using a kitchen and bedroom anyway. So it was like being in an apartment. You weren't using the other rooms. If I could take you back to Rathfarn and say you were still living there, how would your life compare there to now, living here in the community in Macaulay Place? Well, when you close your door in Radfarnham at six o'clock, that's it. Everybody goes home. You're in this house then on your own. I do like the telly. I do like phone calls. But otherwise, I do word search. That's it. That's your life. And you're in the kitchen and then you're in the bedroom. That was life. And I just couldn't stand it any longer after seven years. I just said, no, I have to have to get going. Tonight now is bingo night. Mm. Everything is in, in the building. Don't have to go out. Don't have to have a winter coat if you don't want a winter coat. Tuesdays, arts and crafts. Yeah. We have a film night here sometimes. Uh-huh. Then when you go outside the gate, everything is there. The yeah. banks are there, the shops are there, the credit unions are there. I think I used my bus pass twice since I came here. Oh, don't say that, you take it back off me. No, the watch. <laughs> you don't have to. Without being morbid, let's look ahead to say, oh, you're always looking ahead. all organised. Yeah, yeah, don't be morbid when you get to this age. It's a, it's a part of living. Yeah. There's no way out of this. So you either live every moment now, and when you reach the end, go, okay, I've had enough now, I'm out of here. What I'm trying to say is, if looking towards the end, yes, right? Yes. Living every moment or whatever. Yes. Is this the place for you yes. then? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. If I was to sum it up in a word, it would be contentment. My friends and family were sick of me saying everything is outside the gate. The chiropodist is outside the gate. The chemist is outside the gate. <laughs> everything is outside the gate. One day somebody said to me, I bet there's one thing you haven't got outside your gate. And she said, the funeral home. I said, up the road. <laughs> Do you feel that sometimes there's an attitude out there that you're invisible as you get older and in here there's a different attitude towards growing older? In the general view of things, as you get older, you do kind of become invisible because you're not a worker, you're not a mother, you're not part of the part of the system as such. You're just on the, OK, we're just seeing out your time now and that's the end of you. Whereas in here, because... Maybe because we're all the same. I don't know. Nobody can be an outsider <laughs> because the outsiders are the group. <laughs>
yeah. they, they had the mainstream now. And also because then you find of what you can contribute. You can contribute to doing a couple of hours in the coffee shop or you can contribute by going on the committee and things like that. You are of value to the community. If you're living outside in a house on your own and the whole community is going on all around you, sometimes people feel they're not valued. In here, you are good to the community. Eminem, Mary and Maura. <laughs> Eminem will do M&M. It's been lovely to meet you and thank you for sharing your you. your decisions thank and everything you. with us. Yeah, thank, thank you. Though Macaulay Place is a not-for-profit organisation, Dr Jane Grey believes that choice in older age may come down to wealth. In the past, you know, older people may have had, a, you know, after retirement, however we conceive that, might have had a relatively short period of time in which they were living healthy lives. And now, of course, we see that People are hoping and expecting to live healthy lives well into old age. And again, it raises, you know, questions about, you know, what kind of lives they'll live, what kind of services people will look for, um, what kind of communities people will want to live in. And I think it's definitely my sense is that uh, there will definitely be quite uh, sharp class distinctions in terms of the kinds of um, resources that are available to people in terms of the kind of lives they'll, they'll be able to live. But lots of single-person households at whatever life stage, including old age, will stretch our housing capacity in the future. So there will be pressure to find new solutions. Because of population ageing, perhaps people are spending longer proportions of their lives perhaps living in solo type situations, so living on their own. And I think that that has kind of perhaps created tensions because uh, obviously it creates increased demand for housing that perhaps might not be sustainable within the existing model of housing provision that we have. So I think that will represent challenges into the future. So I've arrived on Pembroke Street and it's Node Living. And I'm trying to figure out how to ring the doorbell to get in. There's a camera. I can see myself on the camera on this computer screen. There's a directory. There's leasing. In Dublin, I discover a completely different kind of community living. Is there a bell just to ring? Could this be the model of the future? Let me try the directory. The globalised economy needs an elite of professionals happy to travel the world in search of the next great contract and career opportunity. But as they dip in and out of cities, where do they live? I'm just trying to get in. It's all very high tech. I wonder will I just try and knock? Why don't I try and knock? Yeah. Oh, door's open. Hello. Hi, Brenda. How are you? Welcome Hi, in. Ava. How are you? Good, thank you. How cool is this place? Oh, to yes. be young. Welcome to Node Living. Just explain what Node Living is. Hello. Hi, how are you? What Node Living is? Yeah. Well, it's basically a place that people can come in different cities and have a real sense of community, like a home away from home. That's mm-hmm. kind of what Node is trying to do Where are we in all the cities that we go. Oh, well, I'm going to bring you down to the residence lounge. Okay. Right, I'll follow you. This is so cool. I love all the colours. How many people are living here or whatever? We have p- capacity for about 55. It could be even more if you've got couples. Mm. At the moment, we have about 30 people living here. Okay, so this is your residence lounge. Hello, hiya, how are you? So your research, what did it really show about what was needed? and why this 
type of living was needed? Through the research that the company did initially, they kind of found that, I wouldn't say broken cities, but a lot of loneliness and things like that for people moving to a new city. As you can imagine, I'm sure it's quite daunting moving to a new city, knowing nobody, even your friends, you don't even know where your local shop is. So I think for people, you can almost live in a little shell that you create when you li- when you move to a new city. So the whole idea with Node is that you can literally come in, there's already a community there. Your curator, me, for example, will introduce you to whatever amount the building holds. So in this building, be 55 new people who can all be your friends potentially. You'll know the area straight away and feel at rest and comfortable in your home. So what has changed, do you think, Ava, in Dublin that has created an opportunity for Node Living to come in here? Well, I think the expansion of multinationals, I think the fact that the likes of Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon, all of these companies are growing in size and they're bringing people from all over the world over, but they don't know whether they're coming or going. I know, especially with the people that live here, they are on a year contract. It could it could get extended, it could get shortened and they have to leave. So they need somewhere that they can plug and play and I think that is why Node came here. Explain plug and play. <laughs> the plug and play lifestyle will be the kind of idea that you can move in with just a suitcase and everything's already there for you. So you don't need to think about your bills or who to get your bills from, what electricity company you should go with, all those kind of things and the fact that you are right smack bang in the middle of the city centre with a community curator like myself who can tell you where to find the best food, where to find the best drinks and the best deals on things. Node is a new concept in urban living for global professionals. You were the first tenant here in Node. Yes, because I moved here in January and what has happened with the contract that I have with my company, okay. I work for the multinational yeah. large com- corporation. Senior shoes are amazing. As I come in, yeah, <laughs> I love shoes. Yeah, got those actually here in Ireland, and I'm very proud of them. So they have a lot of spikes that are sparkly, mm-hmm. which probably doesn't sound so attractive, but they look gorgeous because they shine. Mm. So, yes. So, as we come in with the open closet that you've taken over. Yes. On the right-hand side, you will have my bedroom that I can show you, mm-hmm. which is not that big, but actually what happens, you just only, you only sleep here. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't have to be big. But mm-hmm. I chose this apartment because... Um, of my patio okay so you say with pride like the good thing is when you are a contractor so expat that comes here just for a certain time i don't really want to buy furniture i i don't want to get chairs tables and everything because i'm not going to take it back with me uh, i'm looking for places that are fully furnished because that's easier for me to travel from one country to another. And before living in Ireland, I used to work six months in London. I used to work in Milan. I used to work in South Africa. So um, I've been really traveling a lot. And I was typically living in hotels, um, which doesn't have kitchens. So it's not that, you know, when you want to make a cereal in the morning you can't really make it you always are forced to eat the breakfast at the hotel um and you cannot make a sandwich at night so 
having your our apartment that is fully furnished uh, with this is very stylish it is you know stylish. <laughs> it is and I love your patio yeah, oh you like it? it oh I love it I just got the flowers from the power cord estate mm -hmm. in Dublin which I love so let me open it up for you oh my goodness we could sit out the sunshine oh the sunshine in your patio yeah yeah and you know i keeping my basil fresh basil because i love mozzarella and basil so i can have my herbs fresh herbs here and my flowers and it's nice and sunny and you can have a cup of coffee in the morning and enjoy it so and there's only two apartments in the whole building that have the patio so that's why i i wanted to sign up right away for it and reserve it yes <laughs> is the room in your life then to maybe set up your own family to meet somebody to have children what are your thoughts of course, um, that would be something um, that I would be interested in, but with the right person. I just don't want to settle just for settling, just because that is um, expected from me by the social uh, culture, um, because everyone gets married. And, and I think a lot of women feel that pressure I'm fighting with that pressure. <laughs> I, I definitely, I'm not against marriage. Um, yeah. I, I think if you love that person, if, uh, if you wanna tie the knot and have children, then go for it, mm. of course. Um, currently, my goal is to build my career and um, meet as many people as possible because what I have noticed that I'm growing by meeting other people by the diversity and that's exactly what I'm doing. So Justine, the people you've met around the world, would you say that, you know, things have changed for you than say your parents' generation in that you're more fluid in terms of where you live and how you live? There is a huge change. My mom was married when she was 19. When I was 19, I didn't know if I'm studying the right major. <laughs> so um, by 21 she already had two kids um even now i feel that i'm not well prepared yet to have kids so um definitely it shifted but not for everyone but through your life experiences mm -hmm. and the people you've met do you see that maybe the your generation generation coming up have a more fluid way of living and home is where you are it's not where you're from definitely and there is i think it's the millennials that have that capability mm -hmm. um and i'm one of the first years that is um the oldest from the millennials um that can do that because when i look at my sisters i have two older sisters four or five years older sisters um and it's hard for them to move to another city, start a new life. They're, they're afraid of that change. For me, it's a business as usual, as we say in corporate language. I'm more flexible. And I see um, in the younger generation, so people that are younger than me, uh, it's not a challenge for them. It's, it's um, lifestyle. 
that they live. Um, so I was one of the few that was um, doing it. And um, that was surprising because a lot of my um, friends from the same year didn't do that. I was one of the first that um, went away to New York and studied abroad, but it wasn't that common. Right now, um, when I look at the people that are 5, 10, 15 years younger than me, it's, it's a standard. It became a standard that you go abroad, you study abroad, you live for a couple of months. And, and probably because of European Union, um, that had definitely an influence that you have that ability to move somewhere, study in another city and enjoy that city, meet other people for a specific period of time and then decide to move back or move somewhere else. So Justine, say your contract is finished in two years. You've said you're interested in Singapore. What do you need to do? Do we need to pack furniture? We're moving. What do you need to do to go? I don't need anything. I just need my passport. Uh, Everything physically you can buy. So the only thing I need is my passport and my phone because I need to get access to email and the website to look for a place. There's everything can be replaced. Everything physical can be replaced. I'm not I'm definitely not planning to take with me a dishwasher or washing machine or an iron. You you get everything wherever place you will choose. And um, that's what happened here. I didn't bring anything here. I had everything in my apartment. Are there things that you keep with you or is it literally phone passport shine that's it i like when things are tidy and i feel like the more you have additional like picture frames or uh figures or uh, it, it it just collecting dust for me so i don't really have that um, I have everything on my phone, uh, so I always have phone, iPad, and I collect everything on my phone and iPad. Um, so, so it's very minimalistic. <laughs> Where to next? Singapore. <laughs> you never know, um, because um, it's definitely going to be tied in with my career. So I, I'm joking that um, with, your what year? with my career, I was considering moving to Dubai for a um, couple months or a couple years. And I think um, my company misspelled Dubai with Dublin. <laughs> so I got Dublin, uh, which ended up being really good too. Yes. Could this be the model of the future? Jane Gray points out, it's not for everyone. Anecdotally, my sense is that still the preference is for a very traditional sort of pattern of family and household formation to be present, I think that very likely there is a kind of cosmopolitan elite who will be um, aiming at a different style of life, highly mobile, as you said yourself, not accumulating property because it's kind of inhibits mobility to the new opportunities and so on. So but I I just I don't see it for most people. I mean, one of the I mean, if we look at um, some of the debates at the moment around migration, I mean, one of the problems with the contemporary global economy is that capital and maybe a small cosmopolitan elite is highly mobile, but mobility is much more restricted and much less desired for the average 
worker. So I don't see this as being a very dominant trend in terms of how families evolve into the future. But I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not, uh, do not have a crystal ball on that one. <laughs> Robert and Karen met when they worked for a global company with a Dublin office. Um, so we've known each other about three years and we've been a couple for two and a half. Um, so we, we knew each other a few months before Robert got up the nerve to ask me out. He actually asked a, a friend of ours for my number for my room work. Um, and he texted me that night, which I was delighted about. So. <laughs> I texted her on the Friday and asked her to go for a drink on a Saturday. So we went for a drink on a Saturday and then things kind of took off from there. Halloween was our first day. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween night. We didn't dress up. No dressing up. But yeah. it was scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> scary in that excited, scary way. Yeah. <laughs> mushy now. They have moved in together and are living with another couple. So how did Phyllis and Aidan meet? Phyllis is from Renla. Yeah. I was a barman in Renla. And we went out, started going out about 19... 68 68 yeah, yeah. 68 and we were married and we knew her so long and so well so like the first date I asked her to marry me and that was it what did you did yeah. you propose on the first, first, first date? date yeah god you don't wait around it do you no, no. time is precious you wouldn't want to be wasting any of it no. <laughs> <laughs> were you surprised to be proposed at on a first date oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> I certainly was yeah I thought married God, no, I'm too young. Yeah. <laughs> but he wore me down eventually. Yeah. yeah. That was that. That was that, that yeah. And we'll be 50 years married next June. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell me who lives in the house at the moment? At the moment. At the moment, it's myself and Aidan, my husband. And there's Robert, who's the baby, and his girlfriend, Karen. Yeah. And um, Robert had to move Karen in because there was no chance of saving with the prices the way they are at the moment uh, to save for a mortgage they just had to move in with us, so that's who's in the house at the moment. Yes, Robert and Karen are living with his mum and dad. How did this happen? Um, well, I actually think it was Aidan's idea. He put it in Robert's head. He said, if you are serious together and you want to set up properly, you might as well move in here and save as much as you can. So in my head, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then thinking, oh, I'm moving into another family home. That's not mine. This is going to be a bit strange. And it was, <laughs> but it's great now. Like, Were you aware that Karen might have, you know, might be difficult for her to just, you know, transport herself into your sitting room and feel at home? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you the opportunity to say yes. <laughs> Ask my dad that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably very, I, I talk to people at bus stops and trains and I'm I'm just that sort of person so I probably didn't but she probably found it hard because you'd be shyer than me. Yeah. yeah. So uh yeah, no I <laughs> I didn't I didn't think like that at all. Now I kinda of thought it probably was hard, you know, mm -hmm. because when you think about it like it is it was my home and everything in it was mine. And I suppose when you walk into somebody else's house, you just don't feel kind of, oh, I'll make myself a cup of tea. I'll turn this on. I'll, you know what I mean? So it probably, well, probably what I realise now, it probably was hard for her. Well, it would have been hard for her because Karen comes from a small family. Our house is mad. Because yeah. there's always people in and out. Like. There'd be neighbours in and out, there'd be kids. Like when I was cooking the dinner when they were growing up, I always had to put extra potatoes in the pot because you'd never know who was coming, you know, yeah. uh, and who was staying for their dinner or their tea or whatever. Yes, Robert. Because like some days you could wake up here after doing a full week and wake up and there could be 10 kids downstairs all running around killing each other. Yeah. Uh, 
and mental like eight or nine o'clock in the morning and there's a party on downstairs and you've no idea because everyone is just showing up yeah. uh, now it is a great thing and like i do love all the kids and everyone coming up but it goes from zero to 90 in in this house in uh, the doorbell ringing and you've someone coming in the front door and then kids going around the back door and they're just banging on every door so this house is mental when it comes to it but it is brilliant takes time to get you to grateful and everything as you are did you have to have a little chat um we've had to have a few little chats they kind of we have them as they come up so if there's any kind of little issue we just talk it out so at the start we did kind of struggle with that we're like all right i can't say anything you know they're doing this massive favor letting us live here it, it was difficult but it has made our relationship better and we do communicate better now because we're not on top of each other kind of thing but because we're sharing or we're living now with Aiden and Phyllis, we have to be more considerate about everyone around us. So you can't, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the little things, you know, being quieter, going upstairs if somebody's in bed or in the mornings, that kind of thing. Is it difficult, you know, to have a row, let it blow over? And the fact that your mum, you know, your mum and dad are here or for you to there and they say, oh, Robert and Karen are in the other room. Is there that? Yeah. Sometimes, but not all the time, because we do have our own space in it, okay. and we're all quite accommodating people that we live down. And I think yeah. that's why it works. Yeah. So if they see if we're having an argument or we see that they're having an argument, we'll just stay out of the way. Do you know what I mean? Like, and let them discuss it out because when it, when it comes to the end of the day, it is two separate couples living in the house. Like we do all get along, but at the end of the day, everyone still needs their space. So my mum will play uh, solitaire. And my dad will watch the TV. And that would be their two space. Or Karen will go upstairs and watch TV. And I'll watch TV downstairs. So we're not all cramped in with each other. We know when to give each other space. Do you all cook together and have the same meal together? Is that, a, a, I suppose, an issue? Or de- something? De- definitely not eat together. Because I would need to put that cook. Really? No, they cook all weird stuff. I like me, I like me bacon and cabbage. Yeah. <laughs> and Irish too. Irish too. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. My, if my man's not here, Dad will eat where we're eating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> He'll eat where we're eating then. But like that, we'd... Mum and Dad generally have their dinner at like four, between four and five. Where we're not home most evenings till between six and seven. So there's no real crossover between when we're cooking. Two women in a kitchen, is that okay? So far, so far, like if we're, we're cooking dinners or anything at the same time, it is like a little dance kind of moving around in circles out of each other's way as we move from sink to, to cooker to counter kind of thing. Um, but like I think the whole women thing is, and something that I found, and I probably still struggle with a bit, is women like to clean and Phyllis very house proud. She's got a gorgeous house and especially when we first moved in I was like okay I need to help with the cleaning but what if I start cleaning and she thinks I'm saying her house isn't clean <laughs> so it was that kind of awkwardness but like as as you kind of live with people and you get more comfortable you just get used to it and you just do your bit as you go and realise that she's probably like oh grand I don't have to do that now kind of thing rather than cheeker saying my house is dirty <laughs> like because we have to consider we have two washing lines they'll do their washing during the week and we'll do ours at the weekend so it gives two or three days to dry and then it frees it out. It's just simple stuff like that, that like it was a small accommodation on their behalf and their behalf that we won't wash. Well, you can if you need to, but generally we'll wait till the weekend because we're off. We'll do it on a Friday and put it out on a Saturday. So you want to have friends over, you want to have friends for dinner or anything like that. How's that working out? Phyllis and I are very accommodating. So if we do want people over, 
they're fine with that obviously as long as it's not going all through the night but we do tend to if we are socializing it's, it's kind of easier just to go out yeah which again costs us money so, so we kind of limit that too so if we're going we're going for a few pints and that's it in the home yeah okay you know when you have teenagers in the house i'll never forget it <laughs> <laughs> but there are certain kind of conflict zones should we say oh god there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 oh definitely so we have robert and karen here they're not quite teenagers of course but how do you avoid the conflict zones or do you or how does it work um, how do I avoid the conflict zones? Well, I suppose because they're not teenagers and I did experience um, my own children as teenagers and um, part of it was a nightmare, but we struggled through it <laughs> and we all came out the other end. Um, no, we don't. We don't really now have that much, probably because I built onto the house and probably because I have a lot of extra rooms. So we're not on top of one another, mm. you know, and I, I suppose that really is. Yeah, like they have their own sitting room, um, which like if Karen feels like watching whatever she, when she's mad about sport, which I hate. Uh, so, I mean, if I was to sit here at night and think, oh, God, is this football match ever going to end? Th- you know, it probably would get very frustrating. We have to share a remote control. There'd be plenty uh, you know, of conflict. Yeah, there'd be conflict, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but space does make a huge difference. Huge difference. Absolutely yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. definitely. When you got married, Phyllis and Aidan, you had your children and you had your house. You presume that that's the natural order of yes. things. So has it been difficult for you to see that that natural order is much more difficult to achieve for your own children, oh. who you obviously love? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, like you're in your 30s now, aren't you? When young women are at that age, they're kind of, I'm, I imagine they're probably thinking, Jesus, will I be 40? And then, do you know what I mean? To start a family, will I be able to have a child at that age? And I, th- I think it's very, very sad for them. Really sad. Yeah. yeah. And frustrating. I can imagine that's really difficult, actually. Um, it is. It's very difficult. And a lot of people would say, well, if you want to have a child, have a child. But you don't want to have... A child and then struggle to give the child what the child needs and you want to be set up and know okay i have a home that's fine it's one thing off the list i, I don't need to worry about if this was a lifetime arrangement what issues or what challenges do you would you foresee in the future having the house airway like the simple stuff of maybe changing the sitting room around to suit yourself or painting it yourself or simple stuff like I've, I've never really thought it as a long-term thing so it's never really come to me but it's simple stuff like that having like no just having things arranged differently or i don't know like, it would always be in your head okay this is not my house yeah like i have you have to restrict yourself like that like oh no i can't paint this wall or i can't move this around because this isn't my house so if it was a long-term thing i suppose you would get used to it but at the same time, you would definitely be missing out and you, I think you'd feel that down the line. Mm. Sounds really weird. No, 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 you understand yeah, that. Yeah, no, Phyllis. I totally yeah. understand that because like I have a certain taste. Um, Karen's taste uh, is probably very different. Most people's taste is different. So, I mean, if I wanted to, we'll say, paint this mint green and as I was saying if I, I know I'm bad about mint green and there's nothing in the nowhere back in the house. nothing <laughs> in the house is mint 
don't know why I keep talking about mint green. But if I, like if I did and um, then I came in, we'd say after being away on a holiday or something and Karen had to paint it purple. I'd be thinking, Jesus Christ, I hate it. Yeah. You know, so she wouldn't have. I'd say it is it would cause conflict because mm. you'd have to come to agreements and stuff like that. And it would be very hard on a woman to not be able to just decide I hate roller blinds I'm going to have lace curtains and like I love roller blinds so small things like that I'd say would yeah can we all agree we like roller blinds <laughs> yes. please yeah okay. I like roller blinds, blinds. Yeah. but I don't like mint green <laughs> it's gone out mint green yeah like there's nothing major that we'd argue over but long term you could see it at a point of view eventually mum and dad would like to have the whole house to themselves I'm, I'm assuming uh, and like we'd have like to have our own house that like we'd have kids running around in that it's not going to be like granddad and granny are asleep upstairs or don't touch the ornaments don't touch the ornaments <laughs> yeah. as we've all been worn for many years you can just oh. throw your shoes where you want yeah, yeah. like I'll get them tomorrow and yeah. it's, it's just day to day life I suppose like having that our own space that we're not like oh I better move them because it makes someone else is coming in after us like if you're doing the washing uh that if you're cooking dinner you don't have to wash up right away because no one's using it after you but in the same sense that like if we leave something there that'll throw away and clean it and you're like we'll do that like stop cleaning up after us but simple stuff like that so Karen and Robert living together here just over a year in the house with Phyllis and Aidan what have you learned about each other over the year that they're crazy <laughs> in a good way good crazy <laughs> Me probably <laughs> more so. <laughs> you. Um, I yeah. learned, I suppose, what I expected, what I expected in the first place from them opening their home. That they're very generous, they're very loving, all about family. Um, like I, I'm, I'm very into my family as well. But this family is so big. But they all make time for each other. That it's lovely and like it, it's. I can't really think of anything else now. No, that's lovely. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> I don't think they want to move out at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be right, Brenda. <laughs> Welcome for the next 50 years. <laughs> Robert and Karen are no longer unusual in living with the parents. Dr Jane Gray sees that this type of arrangement, so popular about 100 years ago, is out of step with modern expectations. Well, I think we've already seen an increases in intergenerational living as young adults find it much more difficult to set up house independently. Um, how it's going to evolve into the future, I, I, I think that will largely depend on policy. I think that there is still, a lot, as I said earlier, a very strong preference for living independently. So I think that pressure will come on to make it more feasible for people to set up their own family households in the future. But um, other pressures may, may, may mean that uh, increasingly people have to uh, you know, consider intergenerational living may sort of push people back towards a, a position that existed in the past. But I think that the, the, the whole sort of the culture has changed so much, the kind of power relationships between generations, people's expectations have changed so significantly that I can't help thinking that there will be significant pressure on um, policymakers, uh, you know, to, to actually do something about this, to, 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 to come to some kind of solution in terms of allowing people to, to, to live independently rather than living in an intergenerational setting. Professor Jane Gray, we've all heard the phrase, 
It takes a village to raise a child. And we know all about the old Irish tradition of Mehel, where a community assisted in big projects like barn building. So with us living longer, having smaller families and resources being scarce, could communal living become a trend for the future? Well, I would say there, that in a sense it already exists. I mean, if you were to go to any primary school in Ireland, you would find parents making arrangements amongst one another to mind children, to pick children up. Um, in fact, there's a wealth of sociological literature on this and about how parents have to develop informal social networks in order to be able to cope with uh, the challenges associated with childcare. And I suspect, in line with what we were talking about earlier, we're going to see people having to resort to similar kinds of networks to cope with elder care as well. It was good fun. You can hear the waves in the background. It wasn't massive, but there was good waves and it was head high. It's really clean, which is rare enough for the west of Ireland. There's not much wind today and the sun shining. On the very western seaboard, the crashing waves lure surfers and these isolated spots are cyber-connected to the global world. I met Fergal and Sally, who are dreaming of a different future. So Fergal, a very unusual career for you. Somebody coming from Mayo, making their living as a professional surfer. Tell me all about that. How did it come about? Our families are is an organic farm and to get away from the farm we used to go down to Ackle Island on a weekend just for a little break. So my dad tried surfing once and then me and my brother tried and that was it. I was hooked and I just knew I always wanted to surf and I more like surfing really good waves. That's kind of what I enjoy doing. So I stopped competing and I just travelled the world trying to find the best waves in the world to surf. And then I also found that the best ways to surf were actually just at home. And then the big thing was that you can surf and surf and surf and you can go on. And I, I was going on so many flights and I was like, who am I helping really? I need to do something more of, something a bit more of a meaning and give back and, and be involved in a community. So Brenda, we go and uh, go check out the farm now and head, head up the hill. Most of it is pretty boggy land. We've planted 12,500 trees up here. We need a bit of wind protection because of where we are, so we planted a lot of trees. So tell me the idea then behind community-supported agriculture. It's basically, the, the, the definition is it's a community that commits to a farm. A farmer has commitment from its community that they're going to buy veg off them for the year and the farmer commits that he's going to supply veg to them for the year. Oh, we have li- your little daughter is two. Hello, Sunshine. What's her name? Sunshine Poppy. Looking for her daddy. And you come put me every day, don't you, Sunshine? Yeah. <laughs> Look at you go. Who's happy? Me. Is this about building a future for your family? Oh, totally. Like, you know, once you have kids, it's what world you want to bring them up in. That was, that's the big question. And for me, it's, it's not about having, you know, a fancy car or, or a few extra quid in the bank. It's about her having worthwhile experiences and a community of people around us. And yeah, people teaching her. And, Is yeah. that high enough, sunshine? Now you want me to push you higher on the swing? I'm just interrupting Sally here as she pushes sunshine on the swing. So Sally, you're from Cork. Yeah. Fergal's from Mayo. How did you meet? We met through a mutual friend here in Clare. Were um, you a surfer? A little bit, yeah. I love the sea and I love to I love to get in the water, yeah. We became friends for quite a while, but um, yeah, it was an immediate attraction and I suppose we shared a lot of dreams and ideas and visions and, and it just 
we started the community garden actually together and yeah, it just kind of went from there. Talk to me about your dreams. We spoke about our dreams before we ever had children and it was definitely about a future that we wanted for the next generation and I suppose having my first child, we we stayed in a cottage on our own and I realised how isolated we were and I, I we had started the community garden at that stage and community was something that we'd was very important to both of us but then being isolated with a small child, I really realised that there's so many other women and so many other families doing the same thing you're making dinner on your own you're feeding your children on your own you know you just get so stuck in that world of doing all those things on your own and I just I just feel that we'd function much better to do it together and do it you know the women should be together with the children and if the men are working maybe they're together and it all works like that and we all help each other and and share all that so I think co-housing is a huge a huge dream of mine and setting up a co-housing project um, to live with other families and other young families because I think in this day and age land is expensive and people can't really like we I don't want a mortgage and I certainly couldn't afford a house for myself but and I don't want to live on my own so it's it's becoming to me it's the only way is co-housing and sharing with other people and doing it together it's and you're actively in the process of looking into that. Yeah, um, well, there's a co-housing group has started in Ennis Diamond. I'm definitely doing my research at the moment. Um, and yeah, it would be acquiring land with other families and, and just getting it together. The life that you've chosen for yourselves as a family, do you see a growth in that type of a lifestyle just from being in the heart of it here? I think it's becoming more popular. I'm not sure. What, what do you... I think everyone would love to. I think everyone is coming here and asking the questions and they'd love to do it. But I suppose the system that's that we live in that's been created isn't that easy just to jump into it. So it takes a lot of time and effort and work to get to, you know, this self-sufficiency kind of simpler way of life. Unless you have a load of money to kind of buy it, it's kind of easier to live in the system and carry on than change everything and go a different way. But I think everyone's looking for it. People would much rather be outside with their families and be closer to each other, but it's a big challenge. You grew up in Cork. You would have girls in your class who maybe have a different life. They're living in a city or in a suburb. Compare your life to them, and I'm not saying judge your life. God, our lives are so different. (laughs) We don't have to drive too far to do anything. We've got our own vegetables growing in the garden. We spend a lot of time outside. We're outdoors a lot with our daughter. Um, I'm still connected to the rest of the world. I, I mean, I'm not totally technology free. We have, Fergal has an iPhone and we both we both still use the internet and those things. So we're still connected in that way. This lifestyle on the farm and my family and my friends and everyone I live here with, it's really an enjoyable experience every day and I just want to involve more people in it. If you close your eyes, what ideal family setup would you like? Family set up. I'd love to build ourselves a really small, simple home, probably a cob or wood, and it would be part of a co-housing project. And we would be living somewhere where we planted planted lots of trees, and maybe I'd have a little kindergarten, and Fergal would be farming, and the community farm would be bigger, and we'd be feeding more people, and there'd be animals there, and yeah, <laughs> is that enough of a dream? Is Can that I too come? big? Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jane Gray explains that regardless of the shape of future families, the relationship between family members will endure. We can still clearly see that family relationships are a kind of primary relationship that are in the main distinct from the other kinds of intimate relationships that we develop in our lives. There's a lot of um, 
research on the question of whether or not people are replacing sort of given relationships that come to us through family with chosen relationships with um, maybe intimate friendships as opposed to family ties. But I think what we find is that for many, I suspect probably most people, the quality of relationships that you have with family members are different from the quality of relationships that you have with other intimate ties with friends and so on. And uh, perhaps, you you know, a, a person might have one or two friends that are as close or that, to them as family. But in the main, I think uh, we, we seek a different quality of relationships from family members. And also, I think we continue to experience a different quality of or a different pattern of obligation and entitlement in relation to family members that people uh, feel obliged to uh, support family members. Uh, or to or feel that they can call on family members for certain kinds of help that yeah. they couldn't call for uh, from fam- other from non-family members. And in fact, uh, my recent research, we've been looking at how did people cope with the Great Recession? You know, how did they cope with the financial crisis? And one of the things that we kind of expected to find is that people would rely on extended family for help. And we found that that was true. People did call on family members. And, and felt that they could call on family members for help. But what was quite interesting in that study is that uh, people also felt bad about imposing on family, uh, particularly if it was a kind of imposition that wasn't expected. So if an older person felt that they had to call for help from their adult child, they we found, uh, interestingly, they, they expressed a lot of um, not so much shame, but they weren't um, happy that they had had to do that. A lot of reluctance, I think, is the right word to call on those kinds of uh, ties. And it, I suppose it went against the ideal of independent living that I've uh, an independence between the generations that I've talked about. But at the same time, what it also showed was that family was there in times of crisis. So I think that that quality of family relationships is something that's distinctive. And I don't think that for many people it's going to be replaced by other kinds of social relationships in the future. So I think that will continue to drive family formation and drive people's desire to have families into the future. Professor Jane Gray, that's all for this edition of Like Family. Thank you to all who took part in the programme and thank you for listening. This programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. For more information, check out rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family.